good morning, and let me welcome you again if you're visiting with us. I know Scott mentioned it a while ago, but this kiosk right here, someone will be there to uh, meet you and get to know you better and hopefully give us a chance to uh, uh, allow you to get to know us. If you will meet over there, if you haven't yet, um, meet that person that's there at that kiosk and take a, a packet of information about Crosspoint from us and a special gift in there for you and your family. You'll have to excuse my voice, Um, lost it completely on Thursday, and by the grace of the Lord and Mucinex, this is what we got, so hopefully we'll get to it, I think so, hopefully it won't be too much of a distraction. My name is Brad Cardwell, I'm a non-staff elder here, Um, I get an opportunity to preach occasionally. Uh, We are in a three-week missions emphasis, and we will be collecting a CF missions offering And we are collecting a CF missions offering that will culminate next weekend uh, at Easter. And so that's why I'm up here preaching. Scott Sutton and Ben McGraw do the majority of the preaching here at Crosspoint. And uh, if you're new here, I just want to make sure you knew that and knew uh, who this joker was up here preaching if you haven't seen me before. So uh, we're glad you're here if you're visiting. We're going to pray for another church in our area and pray for our time together. And then we'll jump into our passage. Father, we are grateful for, um, just like Scott prayed earlier, for the provision, for the abundance that you have provided us in Christ, for the inheritance. But we're also very grateful and humbled by the provision that you've given us in resources and the abundance that we have. We want to lift up C3 in commerce, our sister church there. We're grateful for their heart for the nations and your glory among the nations and how they invest in that and are attentive to that. We pray that you would continue to use that church to have a footprint for your glory among all nations. Through the students that are coming through there from all nations and the ones that they're sending To the nations, I pray that you would continue to use them. Thank you for their heart. Thank you for their faithfulness and their steadiness as they preach the gospel week in and week out. We pray that you would grow them, that more people and families in the commerce area would give you the glory that you deserve and worship there with that church and support that church in the coming days. We pray that you would do that here at Crosspoint this morning, that you would remind us again that you're after your glory among all peoples. Remind us again of your heart, of your purposes, and your instructions. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 this morning. We're not going to be reading the whole of those chapters. We're going to look at, looks like about four chunks through those two chapters. Paul is giving the church in Corinth some instructions on how to take up an offering and why. And he moves away from that thought. When he writes, sometimes he'll move away to a second thought. Oh, by the way, let me tell you this too. And then he goes back to the offering. And so that's why we're not looking at it in whole, but in part, in chunks. We'll look at 1 through 6 of chapter 8, 8 through 15, 
chapter 9, 1 through 7, and chapter 9, 10 through 15. <clears throat> so let's start by reading those passages, and then we'll make some observations, and then hopefully have some application. Paul is, um, it's a little bit of background here. He has, and other leaders of the church, have decided to take up a cooperative offering between churches for a need for the church in Jerusalem who is being afflicted and in poverty. So this is offering that he's talking about is specifically a benevolence offering. But he's just primarily focused on the offering, on how to take an offering and why. He's concerned about their heart. He's concerned about Corinth because they were the ones living in abundance. They had the most resources. The church in Macedonia and the church in Achaia, they've already given their gift. And it was substantial. Especially compared to what the folks in Macedonia and Achaia were having to go through. They were not rich. They did not live in abundance. So their gift was unbelievably generous. And he hasn't heard a report in a while from the Corinth church about their collection. And here's his concern, that they've, been, they've become distracted by their abundance. He's concerned that because they have so much and enjoy so much and have so many resources that it's become a distraction. And so he stops down here in this letter to check up on that and give them some instructions and some whys and hows to taking up an offering. Verse one of chapter eight. <clears throat> we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify and beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Verse eight. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you. Who a year ago started not only to do this work but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And that comes from Exodus 16, the passage that Scott read to begin the morning. Let's look at chapter 9. Continuing on with the thoughts about the offering. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, 
For I know that your readiness, I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove vain in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said, I, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some from the Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Verse six, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he is made up in his mind not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all of your generosity, which, though, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I know that was a lot of reading, but what I want to do now is go back and look closer at these points and these instructions and what Paul means when he says some of these things. Starting in 1 through 6, he gives us a Macedonian model. Okay, he's giving us a model. He's telling the Corinth church, look at the Macedonians. Comparatively, they are poor. And I want you to consider your situation, and compare it to their gift. Compare it in the sense that they gave generously out of their means, even some of them beyond that. In faith, they gave a very generous gift. So you that have resources and you that have abundance, think about that. Let them be your model. They gave a faith-filled gift, a faith-filled offering. Now let me stop just a minute and Clarify something. This is an offering and not a tithe. The Old Testament gives us a model of a tithe. And just to be brief about it, just to bring us up to speed, the tithe was given primarily to provide for the Levites and their ministry. And so collection was taken consistently and regularly from the people of God to provide for the Levites and all of the ministries that the Levites would have, okay? That was consistent. There's different ideas on the percentages. It's not just 10%. It's more like, probably ended up being more like 20-something percent was what God instructed the people to give into the storehouse. In the New Testament, we don't have instructions on a tithe. But we do have a real indication of the people of God regularly giving to their church to provide for pastors, preachers, to provide for those who preach and teach, to provide for widows, 
to provide for children's ministry, to provide for uh, benevolence. It's clear in the New Testament that we see the church regularly gives money to their church for those things. Support the preachers, widows, children, and the poor, or those in need. That's a regular gift from the church families. The offering is above and beyond that. This gift that he's asking to collect is a cooperative gift offering for another need. Okay, does that make sense? I, think, I hope it does. Tithe is different from offering. Tithe is a consistent gift to your church, an offering. This is anything, any need that the church stopped down and says, we're going to collect an offering for this need. All right? So that's what happened in Macedonia and Achaia. Paul is now checking in on Corinth to see if their gift, the rich people, the abundant people, people living in great abundance, he's checking on them to see what their gift's going to look like. And then in verse 8 of chapter 8, he moves on to the second model, and that's the model of Jesus. Now, before we read this again, do y'all know what a Jesus juke is? Anybody heard of that? Uh, For those of you that don't know, a Jesus juke is anytime you're wanting to make a point or you're wanting to end a conversation or an argument, you just pull Jesus into it. Nobody had, oh, you don't want to give? Jesus gave. How do you respond to that? Oh, you don't want to go? Jesus would have gone. Jesus, you, 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 move, you make a move and you drop the mic on the conversation by bringing Jesus into it. And that kind of feels what, like what Paul's doing here. But he's not Jesus juking because he's not doing it to make himself look holy. He's not doing it to make himself look smarter. He's saying these things because it's true. And this should be where the people of God look to when they consider generosity. So, verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And then Paul explains this so well in Philippians 2. If you want to jot that down, look at Philippians 2, the first part of that chapter, where he explains how Jesus humbled himself, not considering equality with God to be grasped, but he humbled himself and became poor, took on flesh. He gave up the riches of a beautiful community with the Trinity, perfect and holy, the riches of heaven, Via his incarnation, he set aside aside all of his divine privileges and rights. He had the right, he had the privilege to stay, but he took on human form. Furthermore, he was born into a poor family in a barn and then killed as a criminal. He gave up wealth to become poor. It's a great model to consider when you want to consider generosity. Let's look at our Lord. And you have been blessed with riches. Y'all remember Ephesians 1 when Ben was preaching to Ephesians 1? And he, he talked specifically about how the Father blesses us, the Son blesses us, and the Spirit blesses us. The beauty of the Trinity blesses us. It was hard to believe that was almost two years ago. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago that Ben preached that. But turn to Ephesians 1 and, and let's read that. 
quickly. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's just look quickly at And hopefully you'll remember that sermon that Ben preached. This is what Paul's talking about when he says, he became poor and you became rich. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed him, were sealed with the promise of the Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Remember two weeks ago, he has blessed us. He's blessed us in heavenly places. He's blessed us spiritually. He's blessed us with resources on earth. Why? For the praise of his glory. He's after his glory among all peoples, and he deserves it. And he will get it. And that's what he's called us to. But do you see how the Father blesses us in this passage, the Son blesses us in this passage, and the Spirit? We are rich. We are a rich people spiritually. Look at verse 10. Uh, back, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at verse 10. And in this matter, I give you my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also the desire to do it. So now finish it, doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. In light of our inheritance, Paul says, put your money where your mouth is. If you say you have an abundant inheritance, if you know that you've been blessed as he became poor, put your money where your confession is. Okay? An abundant inheritance means there should be abundant generosity. Follow through with what you said you would do. When we got together and we said we should have an offering... And you said yes, and you made the promise, follow through with it. Let your wallet follow up what your mouth said. You are confessing that you're rich in him. Be rich towards him. <clears throat> we believe we are called, and we believe God wants and deserves glory from all nations. That every people group needs a church. We saw that last week. 
and we should send whoever will and whoever God calls to go. We can say those things, that we believe them, but Paul then says, back it up with support. Give generously to that effort. When there's a need, you give to it. And he gives some really interesting uh, kind of framing here of generosity. He says in verse 13, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. He's encouraging them to be generous, but don't be so zealous that you burden your family. It should be generous, but it's interesting that he says, don't give a gift that you in turn burden yourselves and you can't pay your bills. Now, that thought probably hasn't entered anybody's mind here, (laughs) that you would ever give a gift that would threaten you paying your bills. And the fact that that thought hasn't ever probably crossed our mind is an indicator. However, it would be as if you went home this afternoon, talked to your family, and y'all said, boy, we need to give a generous gift. We probably only have this much, but let's go pull $2,000 off the credit card and give. That would not be wise. That would be zealous, but that would be dumb. That's what Paul's saying here. Frame it. Give generously out of what you have. Not just what's extra, but maybe, maybe a faith step into some sacrificial giving. Maybe you cut out some things, but don't be dumb. So I thought that was interesting that he frames that for us and for the people of Corinth. Verse 14, but your abundance at the present time should supply their need. Don't be dumb, but don't forget, you all have a lot of stuff. You all have plenty of money. Y'all are well provided for. Your circumstance where God has planted you in that city means that you have a lot of opportunity to gather resources and money. You have a lot on hand. So don't forget that either. You have a lot on hand, Corinth. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. When he provided for his people in Exodus, he provided manna from heaven. And when they gather it, God wanted it to be level. He wanted to level it for his people. If you gathered too much, you ended up with an omer. If you didn't gather enough, you ended up with an omer. (laughs) Everybody ended up with an omer. The extra went away, and if you didn't have enough, it appeared. If you had too much, it went away, and if you didn't get enough, it appeared. And that's how the Lord works with us in our faith. And what he does now in the church is the great leveler is generosity. Generosity is the leveler. They need something, this is something we should give to, and then we give to it, and we meet the need. And we consider our abundance in it. We're not dumb. We vet it, we think through it, but we're generous with it. That's the great leveler. Generosity is our omer. Generosity is the great leveler for the church. Abundance is not for keeping. Abundance is not for hanging on to. Abundance is for considering and thinking and preparing 
Where is this supposed to go? Where is this supposed to go to meet a need so that his glory is known? Where should this abundance and this extra go? Abundance, according to verse 14, is not for hanging on to. It's for where should it go? Generosity is the great leveler for us. All right, chapter nine. Let's look at the first five verses of chapter nine. More instruction here. In verse one through five, he says, now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. What he's saying is, I don't have to remind you that there's a need. I shouldn't have to remind you that there's a need in Jerusalem. You shouldn't have forgotten that. You should know that there is a need. So I shouldn't have to remind you that there's a need. But I want you to think through the offering. He says, prepare, get ready. Don't be flippant. Think and prepare ahead of time. Follow through with your promise. Guard your heart from being compulsive with your gift but also guard your heart from being bitter about giving it. Think about it. Prepare your family. Prepare your mind. Think about the need. Think about what's going on. Paul doesn't want them to be humiliated. He doesn't want to look bad. He wants them to remember that there is a need, that God is at work. And his gospel is moving forward. And he wants the Corinthians, who he feels are probably distracted by all their abundance, to remember that God is at work. Think about how much you should give to this work and the relief of the saints. Think about it. Prepare your heart. Get ready. And I want to make sure that you're ready, so I'm going to send some people to you. And he commends Titus to them. I want to make sure you're ready. I'm going to help you here that you don't forget that you have abundance and there is a great need. So you want to think through it. And then in verse 6, he says, Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. What he's telling the Corinthian church is, do you really want to be connected to the work of God? How much? How much do you want to be connected and involved in what he's doing? Sow sparingly? then you will be connected sparingly. You will be involved sparingly. How much do you want to be connected to this gift? Do you really believe that you're rich in him? Do you really believe that what you have is to be examined? Do you really believe that? Make up your mind. The the New American Standard says, make up your mind Purpose in your heart. Purpose in your heart. Where are you sowing? Where are you sowing with your money? You may be sowing with your time and with your prayers. Where are you sowing with your money? And I'd follow that up with, where do you want to reap? Where do you want there to be a harvest? That's the question we should ask when we examine our our funds. Where are we sowing with it? Where do we want to see a harvest with it? Make up your mind, purpose in your heart. This is what this doesn't look like. When we don't think about it, when we don't prepare our heart, when we don't 
what we'll do is we'll come to an offering and we'll say, what are y'all giving? What, what are y'all going to do? What, what do you think we should do? What do you think I should give? Or, <clears throat> we'll see if I can get with Brad and find out if we met our goal yet before I write my check. What's behind that sort of thinking is how little do we have to give up in order to be a part? What's the least our family can do to be a part of the gift? And that's why Paul says, think about it. Prepare your, consider. Consider Ephesians 1, how you're rich. Consider your circumstances. Consider what he's blessed you with. Think about this a minute. Get ready. Don't compare and don't think about what's the least we can do. Think about how rich you are in him. And give out of that. What what Paul's getting at is he wants, he's concerned about their heart. He wants them to give out of worship. That's why he brings up Jesus. (laughs) That's That's why the gospel is in this. Think about how you've been blessed in him. Give out of that heart, not out of well, how much should we? How much do you need? At this point, after being in this passage all week, I'm, I'm so much less concerned about us meeting our goal and I'm more concerned about our hearts at this point. Are we families that think through our circumstances and our situations? Do we think through where, the, where is the need? Where should the extra go? That's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned that any of us might give a begrudging gift. Well, Cardinal finds out I didn't give. He's going to wear me out. What if Ben finds out I didn't do anything? Well, what, what would $50 do it? Instead saying, we believe that God wants his glory from all nations. We believe. We're troubled that there are cities. Troubled that there are even countries right now that don't have anybody gathering, anyone worshiping him. He's not getting the glory he deserves. In pockets still, 2,000 years later, there's places on earth where he doesn't get any glory from people in worship. And we're troubled by that, and we know that's what he's doing, and why we're here, and why we're blessed. Then give. Then think about how much you should give. Let it come from that heart. Think about it, though. Consider where we've been the last two weeks. Paul's saying, get ready. Think through it. Determine in your heart. Don't look around. Don't compare. Think about it with your family. Pray about it with your family. Consider in your heart. What should we do? Consider what you have. Verse 10. Almost done. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. If you end up considering giving to any offering, just take any offering, but this one that we're taking up, if you consider something, a gift that makes you feel a little uncomfortable, like, ooh, I've never given this much to an offering, or I don't know what we should give here. You give a portion of your abundance that feels uncomfortable, I would say to consider verse 10. Don't forget 
who provided the seed to the sower. When you're considering how much you should sow into an offering, don't forget who provided your seed in the first place. Right? It's all his. And you think he can't replenish what you let flow through your hand? That's faithless. Now remember, we're not going to be dumb, but it should flow because it's not mine. He put it in my hand, and I'm going to let it flow. And he gets to use me in that? I get to be a part of it? So if you're considering what should we do in this offering, don't forget who put it there in the first place. Don't forget, he provides seed to the sower. He who supplies the seed will multiply and increase. And he will replenish. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. When we give an offering like this one, it goes in a direction to where more people will give him glory. The people on the field will will give him glory and thankfulness, the people who are saved through these new churches will give him worship. That's how your dollar is attached to his glory. He promises it right here. They will give thanks to God. He will receive glory when you give. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing into many thanksgivings to God. They will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession. You say you're rich in him. You say he wants glory and you want his glory among all nations. You say there should be churches where there aren't. Then submit your wallet to that confession. That's that's what he says right here. Because of your submission flowing from your confession. You put your money where your mouth was. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And he goes right back. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift in Christ, which is where this flows from. Just a few thoughts, um, and then I'm gonna, we'll wrap up and take the supper. Um, John Piper came out with an article, I believe it was a year and a half ago, and he was citing Mark Knoll's book, the new shape of world Christianity. And just some facts here on where we are and what's happening with missions, with God's glory among the nations, and with the funding. South Korea is now sending more people and more money to the nations in missions than we are. The church in South Africa, there's more people and more money coming to missions from South Africa than here. God's going to get his glory, and he doesn't need us to do it. He, his church is growing all over the planet. He is moving. And I, I want to still be a part of it. Uh, when the economy came back, it's interesting. When the economy kind of turned and got better, well, I don't know, I don't know the time frame there, a few, couple years ago when the economy has gotten better around here, our giving as a church as far as families, went down 10%. Just, I'm just, that's a fact. I don't know who. I'm just saying 10% of our families gave less consistently since the economy went 
got better around here. It could be, like Corinth, could be distracted by abundance. May not be, maybe something else, maybe another explanation for that, but it could be, and we have to check ourselves and examine our hearts. Are we distracted by abundance? In the last 15 years, America has gotten richer and our giving to missions outside of America has consistently gone down. According to Mark Noel, New Shape of World Christianity. We, we are richer than we've ever been and we give less to the global church than we've ever given. It's this. <laughs> and it, it doesn't make sense. And it's, it's the cause for the same kind of concern Paul had. Are you distracted by abundance? Like I said, I, I'm so much less concerned about us hitting our goal, which frankly, for us to be able to cooperate, cooperatively collect $10,000 seems a little low based on what we've seen. Seems low. But I'm less concerned about that than I am our hearts. That we're cheerful givers, giving out of an abundance in him. One other note, <clears throat> this gift that we're giving to, this partnership that we have with the IMB, it supports thousands of missionaries. If we say we believe those things, the call of Abraham, we're called to be a part of it. There's a family in our church that said, we're gonna move ourselves there and live among those people and start a church and hopefully share the gospel with indigenous people and they go back to their country and they start a church there. Derek and Casey have given their lives to it. And they're from here. We've sent them. And so without this support, they're not there. And we are, it's a cooperative effort with other churches. We get to be a part of all those missionaries' work. And just something to think about, these, these surgeries that Amelia has had to have. I think this is her third one, right? There's no insurance for that if they're not supported. And this partnership we have provides their insurance to care for Amelia so that they can stay on the field. There's a, there's a valid need for this offering. <laughs> I hope you hear that. People are going and they are proclaiming his glory among all peoples. And we can be a part of it. And I don't want any one of us to give begrudgingly. If it's not cheerful for you, please don't give to it. If you don't believe the call of Abraham, if you don't believe that there should be worship in places where there isn't, then don't give. But give out of worship. Give out of Ephesians 1. The Father has blessed us, that Jesus has blessed us, and the Spirit has blessed us. And then consider your circumstance. Consider the omer. And give out of a heart that's generous. We're going to take up the supper, and I'm going to... I want us to consider in this supper the inexpressible gift that is... This supper.
And I'm just going to read it again. 2 Corinthians 8. And as we take this supper, I want us to consider our wealth spiritually and consider our wealth physically. I say this not as a command, but to prove the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by you, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Let's pass out the elements.